We've been going through John's Gospel and we come to a wonderful and remarkable chapter. Scattered throughout the Gospel are various times when Jesus says, truly, truly, or very truly, or I tell you the truth. And we have two of these occasions uh, in this chapter where Jesus is saying, saying something really important he doesn't want us to miss. And then also scattered throughout the gospel are various I am statements. We've already had I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. And in this chapter we have two more. I am the door or gate, I am the good shepherd. We have in this chapter, the first part, uh, three pictures drawn from sheep farming. Many families kept sheep in those days. And the first picture is uh, one of the shepherd that comes to the door of the fold and he calls out his own sheep. The sheep pen would be a rectangular courtyard with a stone wall and the sheep would be brought in at night, someone guarding the entrance. Several families might share the same pen shepherds in those days didn't drive the sheep or use a dog. They knew their sheep individually, even giving them names. And they would stand at the entrance in the morning and they would call their sheep out. And each sheep knew its own shepherd and would come. Uh, another person calling they wouldn't respond to. Then they would follow their shepherd as he led them to pasture. On one of our church visits to Turkey, I remember seeing a similar scene with a shepherd with his sheep just standing around him, waiting for him to lead them. If you weren't a shepherd, of course, someone, but someone wanting to steal or even kill animals, you'd climb over the wall, of course. Thieves and robbers don't behave like true shepherds. Jesus said, my sheep will not recognize these men, but run away. This was actually a warning to the leaders, but John says they didn't understand. That's the first picture. The second picture, Jesus is the gate for the sheep. This time it's not the shepherd calling the sheep out. He's the gate to the fold. He's the way in and the way out of the fold of God's people. He says, any others who claim to know the way for God's people were like thieves and robbers wanting to kill and destroy. And it's clear that Jesus had in mind the current leaders that were disputing so hotly with him. Remember how they bullied the man in chapter 9. That was our sermon of last week. And there were very other, various others in the past who had claimed to be the promised Messiah to lead the people to freedom and to glory. Jesus said they were thieves and robbers. So the third picture is of a true, proper shepherd with his sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And this morning we're going to concentrate on this picture out of the three. I am the good shepherd, said Jesus. If we really want to understand this, we have to go back to the Old Testament. For in the Old Testament, God called himself the shepherd of his people, shepherd of the nation. And it was also a name given to the leaders of the people, whether kings and 
other civil authorities, prophets or priests. And in more than one place, these leaders were accused of being bad, corrupt, uncaring, dishonest shepherds. For instance, uh, in Ezekiel 34, we read, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who take only care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled harshly and brutally. And then God makes a promise. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey to pray to these bad shepherds. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. The promise was that he would bring someone in the line of King David to shepherd his people, one who would care for the sheep and be all that a true shepherd would be. He would have the interest of the sheep at heart. The religious leaders listening to Jesus would know these quotations. And more than that, they would understand that when he said, I am the good shepherd, he was actually saying something about who he was and where he came from. This becomes clear in the second half of this chapter 10, and we'll be thinking about that next week. For now, I want us to think about Jesus, the good shepherd. First of all, he's drawing a contrast. This is obvious. He's drawing a contrast between himself and those Old Testament leaders, and also a contrast with the present leaders whom he has labeled thieves and robbers. I am a good shepherd, a shepherd par excellence, a true shepherd through and through. That's his contrast. Jesus is making a claim. I am the promised good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, the one you say you've been waiting for. Did you notice he said, I am the gate as well? not just a gate. Imagine a stranger wants to watch Gosford play one Saturday at King's Home. He asks someone, how do I get in? Oh, they say, there's a number of gates over there. But if the stranger was a player, he would say, how do I get in? And they would say, that's the gate over there. There's only one of those. And Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the Good shepherd. In fact, he says it twice. There are not lots of shepherds, only one. Later on, Jesus would also say, I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't claim to be one of the gates, or one of the shepherds, or one of the ways. He is the gate, the shepherd, the way, the resurrection and the life. This is a claim to uniqueness. It's not a popular claim today. The easy thing to say is that all religions are equal, saves a lot of hassle. But you notice 
This phrase, I tell you the truth, truly, truly, the old versions used to say, Amen, Amen, I say to you. Jesus uses it to confirm and to emphasize the importance of his claim. This is important. Make no mistake. I am the shepherd. You could ask the first gospel preachers right after Jesus had gone back to God his Father. They were brought out before the authorities and told not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they say, there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And they suffered for saying it. Thirty years later, the Apostle Paul, after all his preaching amongst the Gentile peoples with the different religions, he said, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and mankind the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus draws a contrast and he makes a claim. And it was a claim for all time. Jesus was not just thinking of his own generation, not just thinking about the Jewish nation. He was looking ahead. This is what he'd come to do. I have other sheep that are not of this Jewish fold. Them also I must bring. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. These sheep, the Jewish ones, and the other sheep, they will be one flock and one shepherd. I am that shepherd, he's saying. And so after his resurrection, he sent his disciples into all the world. As we read the New Testament, we see how many Gentiles, people like us, became followers of this good shepherd. And the claim of Jesus lasts as long as time. He is the one. So he's drawn a contrast and made a claim, and it's a claim for all time. He is the good shepherd. Then he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Says it twice. He draws a contrast again. In ordinary life, a man hired by the day would run if there was danger. But a real shepherd would be prepared to risk his life to defend his sheep if something like a wolf or other predator attacked them. Jesus says more than that he will risk his life. He says, I will give my life for my sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, he said. I lay down my life for the sheep. This it would not be something incidental. It wasn't a risk he might have to take. It was actually part of his work as a shepherd because it's what he came to do. John portrays Jesus in his gospel as being on a mission. That mission would culminate in the cross. That's what he came to do. So his death would be intentional, deliberate, his own free will, not forced on him. We know the Jewish leaders already want to kill him, and that occurs later on in this chapter as well. But he will not be a reluctant victim of circumstances. It will be his choice. <coughs> he has that authority, he says given to him by his father. He said, 
I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. I will give my life for the sheep, he said. I will give my life for my sheep. We use the word for in different ways. I might hold up a drawing and I should say to you, you see this drawing? My friend did it for me. In other words, it was a kindness showing affection, something for my enjoyment. But the death of Jesus is more than this not just for our benefit, it means instead of, in place of. We might say, I couldn't meet the train yesterday, so my friend did it for me. Well, yes, it was for my benefit, but what I really mean is he went there instead of me. And the death of Jesus is more than a demonstration of the love of God. That would be like a shepherd jumping off a cliff shouting, Oh, look, sheep, see how much I love you. The New Testament makes clear that the death of Jesus was in the place of and for the sake of men and women like us. He did it that we might be forgiven, reconciled to God the Father, becoming his sheep, his people, Isaiah said it in the Old Testament, looking forward to the day of Jesus. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus said he's going to do this for that generation and for all generations that will follow. I lay down my life I lay down my life for the sheep and I have power to take my life again, he said. That's what happened. You remember the disciples could hardly believe it. He's now the Lord of glory. The glorious resurrected Lord Jesus Christ whom we, his sheep, worship. Then there's a third thing. Jesus is saying, I care for my sheep. I am a good shepherd. I know them and I know them individually. He says the good shepherd knows his sheep by name. He knows every one of those who have put their trust in him. Our shepherd, now glorious in heaven after his resurrection, knows all about us. He knows my name. He's interested in me. Tremendous comfort and encouragement for a Christian. Our doubts and fears, our temptations, our trials and difficulties, our hopes, joys, blessings, successes, failures, our work, our families, our pleasures. He sees our hearts. Yes, he sees our failures, our sin, and our best intentions. He sees how repentant we are, 
our desires to please him. He knows all those who have put their trust in him, just like this. He knows us as individuals and he knows that we are capable of considerable foolishness. They say the thing about sheep is that they have a tendency to wander. And we're like sheep, perhaps because we grow slack sometimes in our commitment to the shepherd. Sometimes we simply lack wisdom. Sometimes we are deceived. We misunderstand, make a mistake. We land up in awkward or wrong situations. After all, we're fallible human beings and have the remains of sin in us. And sometimes we sin deliberately, knowingly. Sometimes we know that we have done something that has harmed our Christian life or made it difficult by our own deliberate choice. We need guidance from our shepherd to make the right choices. We need help in getting back on the pathway. Always remember, he doesn't write us off when we fail. He leads us back into the way. I remember some years ago, uh, a missionary had disagreed with his colleagues and uh, he thought it was a matter of principle and so he resigned and he traveled back home on the boat as it used to be those days. He said to me, the moment I set foot on the land, I knew I'd made a mistake. But God didn't write him off. And the man went on to be a very warm and approachable pastor, served the Lord well. Our shepherd cares for us when we fall. Have you ever felt desolate having failed the Lord, been headstrong, fallen into some kind of sin of which you are ashamed and of which, which you feel has dishonored the Lord? Your shepherd cares for you. He seeks us out. He calls us back. Yes, he, he knows that we can be very foolish. He knows that we are spiritually vulnerable. There are dangers and enemies in our spiritual lives. There are spiritual battles to be fought. Peter said, our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion. Paul said he can turn himself into an angel of light. We're told that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness. Without our shepherd, we are vulnerable. We need his protection. In other words, in all the ups and downs of life, our shepherd cares for us. He's with us to help, to strengthen, and bring us through. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'm not a hired hand just in it for the money. I'm always there. I always care. Illness, 
failures, major setbacks, loss of a loved one, depression, coronavirus restrictions. He's there and he cares. When things are beyond our control, he's in control. We can trust him to guide and overrule in our circumstances in a way that will always make for our ultimate good. If you want to see how he works, think of the man born blind in the previous chapter. The religious leaders who were meant to be caring shepherds reviled him, insulted him, condemned and bullied him, and they threw him out. No wonder Jesus called them thieves and robbers. Jesus sought him out, comforted him, explained who he was, even though the leaders didn't know him. And our Lord Jesus, the Good Shepherd, will be like this right to the very end. Later on in this chapter, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The shepherd will deal with us patiently right to the very end. Remember his disciples. During the three years they had misunderstood him, sometimes showed lack of faith, argued about who was to be the greatest. Even in that last Passover meal they did. And in the very end, they all deserted him. Yet he could say about them in his prayer to his father, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. And we see how he cared for them afterwards, especially how he restored Peter who had denied him. Our shepherd cares for us. Never give up because you think you've done badly. So to sum up, he's the shepherd, the good shepherd, our shepherd. He died for us. He cares for us individually. He understands our weakness in spiritual things. He's concerned for every aspect of our lives. He will keep us to the very end. The Good Shepherd. Just a word about knowing this wonderful shepherd. As Christians, we hear his voice through the Bible and the work of the Holy Spirit. We can rely on him. And our responsibility is to make sure we're following him and appreciating his care. But someone says, if I don't know him, how can he be my shepherd? Well, it's nothing to do with nationality or family. Not some religious ceremony. Not some special effort or attainment. It is, in fact, a personal commitment, not to religion, but to the shepherd himself. It works like this. 
First of all, I accept his word, his teaching, and I receive it. Then I realize I'm in the wrong. I'm a sheep astray. I'm guilty before him. Then I'm sorry for this. I repent over, I turn from all that I know displeases him. I turn around, in other words. I ask him for forgiveness. Forgiveness based on his death for me in my place. I invite him into my life. In this way, I come to believe on him and I trust him for everything. Jesus said he would never turn away anyone that came to him. He is the good shepherd.